0: I'm Dr. Jacqueline DuJay, and welcome to What is Black Podcast, the podcast where we discuss topics important to raising healthy and thriving black children. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of What is Black. I'm so excited to have um, with, with us today um, Dr. Frank Clark. Dr. Frank Clark is a, a clinical assistant professor at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville. He's also a medical director and division chief for adult inpatient. And consult liaison services for the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine at Prisma Health. So, just to kind of give you before before I welcome our guest, Dr. Clark, just kind of give you some background as to why I really wanted to do this episode. This is a bonus episode for the podcast. So, what I really want to get at um, during today's discussion is how we can address health inequities through increasing the diversity of health professionals both um both dr clark and i are um, african-american um, uh, medical professionals in different different fields of study but we'll talk a little bit more about that we'll talk about each of our experiences but this really this really came, this idea really came to life for me um with the COVID 19 crisis right the COVID 19 crisis really shed shed light new light on health inequities that are faced by communities of color especially the black community and I really wanted to find a way to to take a negative and make a positive out of it. How can we really talk about what are the next steps to address these health inequities that are being um, that are that are being spoken about? So let me welcome our guest, Dr. Clark. Thank you for um, joining us today.
1: Thank you. Doctor I pre- appreciate you having me.
0: Oh, I'm I, Again, so honored that you joined us today. And so I gave a little bit of, you know, background as to why I wanted to do the topic. But again, I think the other thing that really prompted this discussion was seeing your tweet about a patient who was inspired seeing um, seeing you and another black physician. And I thought that was so, so powerful to me. The fact that even in 2020, right, people are still amazed to see docs of color. So I just wanted to first um, first have, give you an opportunity to, to talk about how you felt And you heard that from your patient.
1: I wish I could say that um, I was surprised to hear that. Um, You know, I I hope we get to a day where our patients are not shocked uh, to to see us. So it was, um, I think in some ways, it was a silver lining given everything that's going on with the pandemic. You know, you're trying to find some positives and especially when you're trying to be on the front lines and caring for people and making sure that they have the resources so they can, you know, have a a good quality of life um, I remember uh, her distinctly uh, we, we walked in on rounds and um, she um, b- basically her her view of black men was pretty skewed uh, based on her history of uh, traumatic experiences and so in some ways I think my colleague and I we kind of changed the narrative for her I think her her again her view of black men based on her um, I would say she had a lot of adverse childhood experiences or aces that were you know you and I are we see that day in and day out with our with our patient population. Um, she she had never met a successful black man. And um, so I think when we ended the encounter, I think it was um, cathartic in a lot of ways, not only for her, but in some ways, I think for my colleague and I to say, okay, even through this, even through this time of stress with the pandemic, we can see some positives. And, and that, that means that we're able to change the narrative so that our communities do know that we are we are representing. You know, you and I know that representation matters and visibility is important. Um, if it takes um, little or not even little, but encounters like these to, to illustrate that, then um, I think that's a win win.
0: Oh, I think that's I think that's amazing. Um, so we we talked a little bit before the the interview about how through COVID nineteen and the discussion about health inequities. Is that there have been more docs of color that are coming out and showing up to really represent the profession, but also um, represent the perspectives of um, of the health of the health crisis, right? So not just COVID crisis, but the crisis that's being um, really being unmasked even more um, by this pandemic. And I wanted to, I guess, get your viewpoint about why that's so impactful and why it's so important now that so many docs of color um, are coming out and talking about these health, health disparities and health inequities.
1: So you, you and I and other docs of color have known for decades that, um, the social determinants of health, health disparities, um, how they can impact, um, communities and, and what in terms to life expectancy and health outcomes. You and I both know that the COVID-19, obviously it doesn't discriminate, but we have to look at the underlying causes of why um, more communities of color, specifically African-Americans, the Latinx um, population, as well as Native Americans are dying at higher rates. And that goes back to structural racism. Um, again, we talk about the social determinants of health um, when there's an unequal distribution of money, power and resources. Um, and so w- whether it be poverty or discrimination, we, we are seeing, um, I think this this pandemic really illustrates the social determinants of health and and health disparities. I think it is great that we are seeing more of us on the front lines, so to speak, advocating. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time, um, but uh, unfortunately, I think it takes a crisis for America, for America. America, excuse me, to kind of wake up and say, oh, this is happening. Unfortunately, I just saw an article. I don't know if you saw it today where in Richmond, Virginia, um the 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 100 of deaths were in the african-american community
0: oh wow okay no i hadn't i hadn't seen that article i've seen enough the st- the statistics to show the disproportionality of african-americans in terms of um deaths um and morbidity from COVID 19.
1: there's a mask on campaign that some of my um colleagues um are doing where um i think it's like a tick tick video they're doing where they will um um, they'll, they'll show themselves without the mask and, um, and, and various specialties, and then they'll put on the mask. But it, it's to bring awareness to, um, you know, the uh, oftentimes we see the Black men and Black women in medicine hashtag and representation matters. So I think it's great that, um, again, I think our, our, our profession and um, whether it be pediatric psychiatry, um, it doesn't matter. We are coming out um, in the masses and saying, we are still here. We're going to continue to fight this fight until the end. And I think initiatives like we're seeing, whether it be the mask on campaign or other initiatives, I think it is galvanizing um, people and 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 emboldening people to kind of say, "Look, enough's enough." What are we going to do not only during the crisis, but when COVID is over? You and I and others know that this is that the health disparities are going to persist, and so we we have to be action oriented and. Have a seat at the table to make sure our voices are heard during this time and also post-COVID.
0: And I think, you know, we, we mentioned as well, the, the AMA president, the American Medical Association president is an African American uh, woman. And I think she's brilliant. And I think she, yeah, she's just, she's just a brilliant doctor, whether she's a black woman or not. But the fact that she also happens to be a black woman, is like, okay, that's, that's very positive.
1: Yeah, Dr. Patrice Harris, she's, she's awesome, a, a mentor and a friend of mine and, and a psychiatrist. So I have to give a shout out to her.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, we, we can definitely shout, shout out, give, a, give her a shout out. So, but it's interesting, right? I don't, I think on, on one hand, the fact that we're showing up and we're, we're more visible, I don't want people to think that we're very common, right? So it's, we're just, there are not enough docs of color um, across, across specialties. And I just wanted to share um, share some data with people. So this is from the American Association of Medical Colleges. I think some 2018 data of um, ac- active physicians. There are only about 5% that are Black or African-American, um, about 6% that are Hispanic or Latinx. Um, and when we look at who is applying to medical school, Again, only about 8% in 2018 19 medical applicant pool were African American. Um, 6% identified as Hispanic. And then, even full time uh, medical faculty, African Americans only made up about 4%. And Hispanic um, Latinx, only about 6%. So we're really underrepresented. But when we, but when we, but when we, um, are in medicine, I think we do we do a wonderful job, right? We also talk. There's data that show that racial and ethnic minority physicians are more likely to practice in primary care and in, and serve um, underserved communities, um, especially communities of color. So, so I say all that to say that that's that's sort of again why I really wanted to talk about how can we you know you talk about being active, right? Because COVID 19 will hopefully end, right? And when it ends. Health disparities are not going to go away. The health inequities aren't going to go away, right? But what things can we do above and beyond the advocacy, right, and taking on leadership roles that maybe we can help to increase the pipeline? Because I feel like it's such, it'll be such an important aspect to to address health inequities over a period of time. It's not going to be overnight, but I think it would help make a difference over, over time.
1: Yeah. I think we, we, you and I, and, and and other healthcare professionals realize that if we're going to improve the health outcomes of the communities we serve, and um, and that we have sustainable communities, we we have to make sure we have a diverse workforce. Um, and you know, we talk about intersectionality. We can talk about race. We can talk about sexual identity. Um, it, it, there are, there's so many diversity dimensions that that we need represented in in, in, in healthcare. I think it's got to start early. Uh, I'm a product of pipeline programs. I, I know uh, without pipeline programs, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, you know, access is key. So um, there's a saying um, that, again, if, if they, you can't believe in, in doing, if you don't see it, you can't, you know, you can't achieve it. And so, you know, when we, uh, for example, at the American Medical Association, uh, I'm, I'm part of the, um, I serve on a a governing council which is called the uh, Minority Affairs Section Governing Council and part of our mission um, on that Governing Council is to one, um, help shape policies that um, impact communities of color and then two, um, to also uh, encourage and and do community outreach to communities um, starting at a young age. Uh, High school is too late, Uh, we have to start in in grade school, I would say probably at third grade. Um, so we, um, twice a year, um, during our annual and interim meeting, we go into schools uh, wherever the meeting is going to be. Usually our annual meeting always takes place in my hometown of Chicago, but interim meetings can take place across the country. And we we find a school and we identify a school and we go in and we wear our white coats. We introduce ourselves. We talk about our journey um, to medicine and I'm always amazed at my colleagues because I find out new things about them um, each time we do this. And um, we've all gone through you know, the struggles, but I, I think it is important for students to have visibility. Um, I remember uh, growing up, my pediatrician was um, Asian. Uh, I didn't really see a, a, a position of uh, a black physician until probably high school or, or college and that's because i was involved in pipeline programs and so i think we have to start uh there's going to be early intervention um if we're going to um, increase the uh or diversify the workforce in order to meet the needs of a, of a diverse population um, when it comes to black males i know you gave those statistics from the double amc uh, and I, I think you're familiar with the report uh, that the amc put out about the downward trend in uh, black males mm-hmm. in medicine you know, from the the, the statistics are worse, are, are are far worse than they were, in, uh, in what well, was it, 2014 compared to tw- uh, 1978 in terms of the number of black men going into medicine. We have a lot of uh, room to grow in that area, but you know, we uh, those statistics need to change uh, for a number of reasons, and it's not just black males. Uh, I'm, I'm just highlighting that as a as a black male physician. I know I make up about three percent of the workforce. And so, again, I I don't want to be an anomaly. I want this to become the status quo where, you know, it's not unusual to see uh, a black position right now that it's kind of like, oh, my God, like, you know, you guys are you guys are around. And it's, you know, that that's um, that can be pretty uh, distressing, I, I think, especially for me and my other colleagues to. To, so there's always. We don't want people to have incred, incredulous looks on their face. We want people to kind of say, Well, of course there's black males and black, you know, women and, and Latinx and Native American physicians. You know, this this is what this, you know, this is what medicine looks like. Um, you know, the hashtag that I always use, well, not always, but sometimes use in my posts uh, is what a doctor looks like. And I think kids need to really appreciate what a doctor looks like. A doctor um, looks like many things, but we're not, they're not going to be able to see that if we are not able to look at you know, policies and, um, and, and implementing new strategies in order to, to diversify that workforce.
0: So you talked about your experience getting to get, I guess, getting involved in medicine through pipeline programs. Can you talk a little bit more about what a pipeline program is and how you got involved? Or what was the impetus for you to get involved?
1: Sure. So I had a um, a fascination with the human body and, and medicine dating back probably to grade school. And, and my mom is a, reti- a retired Chicago public school teacher. And so she saw my affinity for uh, for science and she wanted to make sure that I had early exposure. I, I, can, I really didn't know I wanted to be a doctor until I was about 15 years old. I had um, aspirations of wanting to become a pharmacist or a chemist. Nonetheless, to um, you know make sure I had early exposure so I was involved in the CHAMP program which I believe is still in existence um, in Chicago Illinois and so pipeline programs the way I look at I would describe them are programs that allow students who have a an affinity for um, um, specialties and in, in healthcare to get early exposure and to also prepare them um, uh, for, for the future so you know kind of getting a head start and and allowing them to have that early exposure to, um, it doesn't have to be physicians, be, Just healthcare professionals in general, um, that they can ask questions, they can form um, uh, a mentee mentor relationship, which I think is huge, um, especially when you're, when you're starting off in, um, in, in your career. And then also um, looking at uh, it allows them affords some other opportunities. So, or, you know, getting involved in research, how do you conduct a, a research um, project and other things so i, I kind of look at it as the um the appetizer um, that, that it kind of gets their palate wet and and doesn't mean that they will necessarily go into medicine but at least they have some um exposure to okay if this is something that i'm truly interested in um, i have now identified people who are in my corner that can give me the, the lowdown so to speak and keep it real of if you want to become a, a physician, a pharmacist, a physical therapist, whatever that may be here, this, these are the footprints that you need to you know lay in order to accomplish
0: that. I think that's amazing. I mean, I think for for me, um, I grew up in Washington, D.C. So back in the 70s, 80s, so my pedi- all all the professionals I dealt with for the most part were African-American. Right. So I had a black black female pediatrician. Um, so she sort of was my inroads into um, okay, this looks interesting, but I think if but I think it I think what you're saying is so true in terms of having early exposure. But there are many kids I think who don't get that exposure unless they're tracked, right? Unless they have a have a family member who already is a doctor or healthcare provider, or there's some teacher that says that okay, you're smart enough, right, to do this. I think I think you do have to be smart, right? But I think this idea that you that you have to have straight A's. To be a doctor is the is a way is a way to do that. But, you know, what are your thoughts? I don't I was not a straight A student, um, in elementary school. I got there because my dad sort of, you know, <laughs> made a little bit of it more, gave me some encouragement um to do that. But I, I didn't start off that way. So I'm just wondering what are your thoughts in terms of right really trying to sort of un unravel that myth that you have to be like this super smart kid in order or a nerd right to go into medicine
1: you don't have to be a straight a student um you know i i wasn't a straight a student i there i got i remember in college especially i got a I had a d at one point in um organic chemistry uh ended up coming out with a b in grade school and high school I, I did well academically but again uh i was never a a straight a student i think it for me, I would, I would take a, a, a young man or a woman who has um, the motivation and the, 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 um, the curiosity um, and says, you know, maybe I'm a BC student, but I really want to be involved in this program. That's where mentorship comes in. We, we can't just identify the kids who are straight A students uh, because then I think we, we miss a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I definitely well. We were past fellow medical school, but uh, I was—I would say I was at the, the low end um, in terms of class rank for for uh, for medical school. And I struggled in medical school. And even though I did um, perform the, well academically prior to medical school, I, I think we we have to be transparent and say, okay, if you want to go to medical school, sure, GPA is going to be important, but that doesn't mean that. Your, your life is over if you're in second or third grade and you know, you're a BC student. What, what can we do to help intervene so that we can turn those B's into A's and turn, so, and turn those C's into B's? Um, I think, you know, to your point, a lot of times kids get left out because they're not at the head of the class. And you know, while A's are important or, or great GPA is important. It doesn't um, tell you exactly what type of um, position you're going to be, for example. I mean, how many people do we know that when we were in medical school and, um, you know, had stellar board scores, but, you know, maybe they weren't the best communicators and they didn't know really how to establish a a good therapeutic alliance with their patients. Um, So I think for those kids who are, let's say, maybe struggling um, in their academics, I think we have to figure out, one, why are they struggling? Right. Um, you know, is there something going on at home that we don't know about? Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that all children are intelligent. Um, you know, we I, I refuse to pe- for people to say, oh, this kid, you know, the common word, this kid is slow or or things like that. Kids are teachable, uh, but we have to be patient in how we you can't teach. Um, you, you have to modify your um, your, your, your teaching scale. Um, and, I, and I think sometimes um, educators have a difficult time doing that because it's like well you know everybody else gets the concept how come you're not getting the concept well maybe that that child that um is is, has a different way of learning and so how can we appeal to those children that um you know again may not have the straight a's but still encourage them and and we can still believe in them and say hey we can get you there and this is what's it's going to take let's partner together to figure out how we can help you accomplish your goals
0: so I think both both you and I've had the experience of being mentored as well as being mentors right so but I think when I was when I was coming up it was very difficult to try to figure out like how am I going to find somebody to talk to to even learn about learn about medicine? So, what advice would you give for, let's say, parents or even for for younger people who are looking to find somebody? You know, like I have an interest, but I want to learn more. How do I how do I start that relationship? How do I start that conversation um, to let someone know that yeah, I'm interested and I think I might want to be a doctor?
1: So, I would say um, establishing a a network. Um, and that network is gonna look different for everyone. Um, so those, I would say, if you're in school, if you're in elementary school, we talked about you know starting early, I would reach out to um, uh, your, a science professor. It doesn't have to be biology, it could be chemistry, uh, physics, it, it, or it can be in the non-sciences. Um, and saying, I have an interest in, um, I wanna be a doctor someday, but I don't really know what a doctor does. You know, we we sometimes are you know to your point are afraid to to ask because we don't want to feel like a, a burden, and we, we know that people you know are are busy. But I I've always been a firm believer. You don't you don't know unless you ask, and that person can. Go
0: ahead. Oh, because I, I think you brought up like a really, really good point about feeling like it's a burden because I've had like my own kids tell me that. Right. As young adults are like, I don't want to ask ask that person. I don't want to bother that person. So I really would I really would love for you to go into that a little bit more because I sure. think that really is a barrier for for a lot of young people.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I um, I had a. Uh, Young lady at work, um, African American female who uh, works for our, our, our uh, healthcare system. Uh, she didn't approach me directly. One of um, my my colleagues um, told her, "You should ask Dr. Clark about you know, um, reach out to him. She's interested in the psychiatry." And again, she didn't come up to me. Um, uh, um, she didn't approach me directly. It was someone that encouraged her. Now. I don't know why if, if she didn't feel comfortable or what, what that was, but I, I I wonder if she felt like well, okay, he's a physician, he's he's rounding right now, he probably has you know he's probably doesn't have time to talk to someone like me, and I, I think that that has to be we we want to be make sure that we are transparent um, with especially with this young generation. We are never too busy. I, I'm never too busy. I know you're never too busy to to talk to a, a someone that says hey. I want to be one of the future leaders of tomorrow um you know i'm all about paying it forward so i I had a lot of people growing up who mentored me some of them are still my mentors i have you know mentors from um who from various um diverse backgrounds never be afraid to approach a person Um, you know i think especially when um I, i get this way sometimes you know when i'm at a conference and i see someone that you know i've read their 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 papers and i'm like oh you know it's almost like a celebrity kind of thing. You're like, I don't want to go up to them because they may say, "Okay, who are you?" and and why are you approaching me? And I have found just the opposite. I have, I have found that individuals, when you approach them, they they want to get to know you. They they're not going to really tell you anything about themselves. They want to get to know who you are, why you're interested in what you're interested in, and how they can help cultivate um, you know your 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 dreams. And I think that. That can also be um, true of um, of our teachers, our educators, whether it be elementary school or high school. So I would encourage um, our youth to um, not be afraid. Uh, don't be timid. Have the confidence to to go up. And if they feel like they can't do it by themselves, um, go with some. You know, go with someone that they trust. You know, maybe it's someone. Maybe it's the um, the principal, or maybe it's a teacher that is not involved in sciences, but, you know, having a game plan and saying, okay, this is who I would like to approach. This is how I feel about it. How would you um, encourage me or what approach would you take in order to talk to this person? And I I would say 99% of the time, um, those individuals who are approached are going to be very receptive to what um, these children are saying because they recognize that They are the future. Um, I think sometimes when we are silent, we miss out. We kind of delay our own blessings, so to speak, because we are afraid of what may happen. And so I think we get into this catastrophic thinking of this is the worst case scenario. I don't go into situations thinking the worst case scenario. I go into situations thinking the best case scenario. And best case scenario is they will take me under their wing. They will mentor me. Worst case scenario, maybe they don't have the time, but there's always the but or and they can refer me to someone else who may be able to take the time and and mentor me. So uh, that doesn't have to be a period. It can be I don't have I appreciate you reaching out to me. I don't have the bandwidth, but I know someone who who can and I will put you in contact with that person.
0: I think that's important for parents um, of younger kids as well as young kid, you know, parents that they're they're letting their kids listen to this uh, to this conversation is I think that's so true we get you know where's this anxiety that we have and like you I mean I'm the same way like I have friends now that I'm like they did like they did great work and I was like oh they're not going to talk to me they're not going to talk to me right little starstruck but then it's like you get to know them and like oh man I'm so glad that I got to got a chance to meet them but the other thing too is is that I want to I want to hope that over time right that it's not just a chance encounter because I think for a lot of young people, that's it's really a chance encounter. It's like, hopefully, someone came to your school, right? Hopefully, someone saw something in you, right? But at some point, I want to, I hope that we create a, a system where kids are just, it's just an option, right? And it's not, it's not the default option because, well, I guess for many kids, it probably would not be a default option. I want it to be an option, you know, if you're going to think about whatever you want to be. Oh, yeah, I can be a doctor and then you decide later you don't want to be a doctor, but at least it's on your it's on the t- your, it's on your it's on your list. But I think ultimately we have to get to the point where I think more of us are doing the great work that you're doing going into schools and 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 mentoring or giving opportunities for kids to be mentored. So I wanted to wanted to get your thoughts just kind of circle back again as to I guess the underlying underlying premise of the of this discussion why, why we need more docs of color? Okay, why is it so important to have, have a diversity of docs of color um, in the field of medicine?
1: So I think a number of um, the answer to that, that question is um, it's multifactorial. So uh, first it, it involves, you know, we, I see this um, in my practice um, in, in psychiatry, The need for diversifying our physician workforce is is prudent Um, so one uh, as i alluded to earlier we we want to improve the health outcomes of our communities and we as um, physicians of color understand what our commit what what is impacting our communities what what are the barriers um to why our communities are not um thriving so to speak right we we all want to thrive, and so if people aren't thriving in the community, how can you, you know, expect that community to uh, be sustainable? And so you know, we, we look at the, the abysmal statistics of, of life expectancy in communities of color. So as a black male, my average life expectancy is about 71 years old. Now, that also depends on zip code. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, you and I both know that zip code is more important than your genetic code. Um, you know, I have the lowest life expectancy, um, even compared to um, our, our black women. Black women have a higher uh, life expectancy than black men, but not as high as life expectancy compared to uh, white men and, uh, for example, or white women. Actually, the um, so that's one reason why we need culturally competent um, healthcare professionals, and that's why we need to um, diversify our workforce so that. We can attend to the needs of, a, of our community. You mentioned earlier when we first started that uh, it is well. There's a plethora of research to, to show that um, uh, physicians of color go back um, to the um, to their communities um, and and to practice, um, and so that that is important. There's also this concept of uh, racial concordance that we and you could probably even look at it from a gender concordance standpoint. So. I probably, you know, as a if I as a black physician and am seeing, let's say, a um, a black male who is one of my patients, I likely will have a better chance of having my patient uh, adhere to his medication regimen compared to if he were seeing um, a person of, of different um, with a different skin pigment. Now, that's not to say that. Um, uh, a black patient um, cannot have a therapeutic alliance with um, a, a patient of a different um, cultural background but there is something to be said for racial importance and in terms of improving health outcomes people feel comfortable with when they sit across with someone um of a similar cultural background there there are things that they may disclose to that person that they wouldn't disclose to someone um, of a different cultural background same thing with um gender i mean i i um, if I have a, um, a person, I will say a woman who comes in and she's had multiple traumatic experiences, um, she may not feel comfortable disclosing that to me. Uh, does that mean that that won't happen over time? It may not, but she may feel more comfortable discussing that with a, with a woman physician, and, and I don't take offense to that. It, it is, it's just you know, how it is. And so um, I think that's another reason why we need to diversify our physician workforce. Um and then you know the other things um, we have to look at the the, the pervasive uh, pattern of, of discrimination and racism um, um, in our country. Uh, we're seeing that again with with COVID, not not COVID itself, but mm-hmm. again the underlying themes of of why we're um, why communities of color are disproportionately being affected um, compared to our white brothers and sisters. And so um, that goes back to. Um, Again, why uh, there needs to be a, a, a diverse uh, position workforce so that um, we can help what I what I would determine as narrowing that disparity gap. Um, this is not going to happen overnight, but if we are truly if we are truly committed, um, again, sometimes I think um, there's a lot of lip service that we hear um, in terms of like um, whoever's in. Um, in the federal government level of, oh, okay, this is happening. Well, it's one thing to identify it, but what are we going to do about it? And so I think one of the ingredients to help narrow that disparity gap is to have a diverse position workforce. That way we are um, we're, stronger to, we're stronger in numbers, um, you know, the right, they strength in numbers. And so instead of this, a couple of choir members singing this, you know, the, the familiar tune that we're all, you know, accustomed to of, uh, we need more of us. Um, we, we need to advocate for this. Hopefully, at, at some point in our in our lifetime, that we can have a, a choir um, that is, <laughs> you know, um, singing a, a, a tune of, okay, we 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 fought the good fight. You know, we've completed the, the race, and now we can, um, you know, go forth and and heal our communities.
0: Oh, I think those are I think those are powerful reasons that we need to diversify the workforce. Now, I just wanted to talk just talk a little bit about some issues that I think young people might have. that They might think might be daunting in the medical path. One, it takes a long time to become a doctor and then two, the economic cost of becoming a doctor. And some of those, I think, are systemic issues, right, that really um, create barriers for many, many communities. Uh, Socioeconomically, as well as of color, so I wonder if, if you could speak to those to those things, and I guess make, speak realistically about them, but maybe how they can also be overcome as well, so that they they don't stay barriers for someone say, deciding not to do it because of those barriers.
1: Right, I'm glad you um, uh, 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 bringing this to the, um, to the attention of our of our members. I, you know, anything worth doing, at least what I have learned over <laughs> the years, um, it's going to take time. You know, uh, being in the healthcare profession, especially being a physician, you're not going to have that uh, instant gratification. It's going to be a delayed gratification. But I'm a firm believer of if you truly want to do something, if you have a dream, um, you do whatever it takes to accomplish that dream. And and you you don't want money uh, or time to be a barrier. Now, everybody has different circumstances. Um, You know, I was a recipient of a full ride scholarship to medical school, but then I uh, eventually lost that scholarship because I was experiencing some academic difficulty. And so, um, instead of being debt free, I came out with uh, two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, and then, in as interest includes, accrued um, it was close to four hundred thousand. Now, I've um, you know my wife and I have made a significant dent um, in in those loans, but if you were to ask me if I were to do it all over again, would I, and I would say yes, um, despite being in debt. And so, you know, I was blessed that I didn't have any um, undergrad debt. That's not, um, that's, I can't, we can't say that about everyone. And we know that, especially um, uh, underrepresented minors um, of communities of color, uh, our students, we're coming out with more debt uh, compared to our white brothers and sisters. Some of that I, I, I feel stems from um, the um, um, income inequalities that we have seen throughout um, for, for for decades, and um, I was reading an article a couple months ago about I think it's going to take um, Black people, it's going to take us two hundred years to kind of catch up to white mm-hmm. wealth in terms of you know narrowing that that disparity. So you know if you're you know let's say if you're you have your heart set on medical school, but now you're coming out with $60,000 in debt from undergrad, it, it, it looks kind of bleak, right? Because you're saying, well, I already got 60000 I don't want to have another $200,000, and how am I going to pay this off. But I think it's important to reframe and, and kind of modify those those negative thoughts, so to speak, and say, okay, I'm coming out with this much debt right now. But my goal was not just to go to college and complete college. I had my eye on the prize, and, and the prize is that I want to go become a doctor. And so I know for a while it's going to be a struggle, but I'm going to look at the opportunities um, or the silver linings um, that are, that I could identify even during this time of the storm. What I, what we have seen now is that there are um, you know there's funding available. With people are, are philanthropic in a lot of ways, and and providing you know endowments. Um, you know scholarships for um, you know, people of color um, and um, the people in general. I mean, you know, Kaiser now has—I think—they're going to be uh, tuition free for the medical school. And I know, um, I believe it's NYU, one of the schools and one of the medical schools in, in New York is now going tuition free. I wish I was part of that. <laughs> but, yeah, but,
0: yeah, you and me both.
1: <laughs> but um, but I I, I I don't want students um, to give up because of the time. And and I'm, you know, I'm sure you are as well. I'm pretty transparent when I talk to students and they say how how many years does it take to become a doctor? I'm like, "Hey, let's go through the, you know, you got elementary school, high school, college, medical school, then residency, you know. It's going to take a um a good a good uh, portion of your life is going to be spent <laughs> in school, but if you want something bad enough, you'll do whatever it takes." And um you know, so I, I, I want students, um, those who are listening, you know, um, out there to realize that don't give up on your dream. Um, there are people, again, this goes back to the mentorship that, you know, we talked about. Um, there are people out there that uh, will help you. Um, doesn't have to be from a money standpoint, but just, you know, um, pointing you into resources where um, that are available so that you know maybe um, you don't come out um, with with as um, much debt compared to if you didn't have those resources or, lo- or those mentors that could you know point you into into the right way. Uh, I remember in college, there were when I was applying for scholarships, there were scholarships for left-handed people, scholarships for right-handed people if you were artistic. you know so um, it's it's just knowing where to look. Uh, and then also making sure that um, you ask those questions and and not being afraid to ask, are there scholarships available? Um, You know, this is what I have on my MCAT. Uh, I'm coming from an underserved area. Uh, You know, I know sometimes um, they will waive the uh, fees for MCAT uh, or if if people have, you know, MCAT is is not cheap or MCAT um, MCAT prep courses are not um, cost effective sometimes for people asking, asking the question, Is there a way to waive the fee based on my circumstances?
0: I think those are great, um, great tips. And I think for the other thing that I'd like to share too with younger people is that not only do you, I mean, yes, yes, it's time. And there's a cost to to going through medical school. But then you also have to think about on the other side, right? There's sort of, there's an honor to to be a healthcare professional. And most healthcare professionals, even if we have some student debt, right? Most of us do you know, do fairly well, right? In terms of being able to, um, you know, pay for pay for our housing. Maybe not during residency, right? After residency, um, you know, you tend to you tend to be able to, you know, you're not living hand to mouth, so to speak, right? So you tend to be able to live pretty comfortably, right? Depending on on what your level of comfort is, and depending on the specialty. And I'll definitely share in my show notes some information for um, for our listeners in terms of additional resources from the American Medical Association, um, as well as from the um, AAMC, as well as some other associations about um, how you know some answer some more questions for young people interested in medicine. But what I but what I also what I also like to tell tell people as well is that you know what. You don't just have to be in the office, right? I think like someone like yourself, right? I've seen you do webinars, right? You're a public speaker. You're engaged in your um, professional associations, right? So you really have a wider wider audience right to reach out reach out to and share not only that your health information and knowledge right but share the show that you are a physician of color right and, and represent so there's like so there's like a myriad of things that young people can do with that medical degree and then and it opens doors for them
1: absolutely um i think it's important to to, to your point to you know being a physician is a, is an honor and a privilege but it's it's going beyond and above and beyond the bedside right you know it's, it's one thing to, to go around and make arounds and see patients and, and and contribute to patient care but one of my favorite things to do is to be out in the community uh, because you know I didn't just become a physician to to take care of patients um, you know it's it's as physicians we are teachers and so you know instead of having the, the media and other outlets uh, provide the education for our communities. We have to be, um, you know, at, at the on the front lines, so to speak, of, of going into our communities and making sure that they have um, the information that is um, accurate and scientifically based, and and, and so that they can um, draw on that and then make their make their decisions about, uh, around their care as, as as best they can with the information that has been given. So. Um, I think it is um, prudent that um, all physicians be involved in their communities, and it is it is also great to be in or, um, involved in organized medicine because we have the opportunity and the privilege to help shape policy that will uh, not only impact our profession but the communities that we serve.
0: Oh, I think that's I think that's wonderful, and I think that comes full circle as to why I wanted to really really have this conversation with you because again, I think you know. You mentioned so brilliantly about the, the aspect of how um, the increased representation makes a makes an impact on the health outcomes for, for many communities of color because of the concordance, right? A, a person of color, um, patient sees a, a professional um, person of color, right? And so there's sort of maybe some shared experience or shared understanding of um, information and as well as the fact that you have someone that looks like you and is, a reliable source of information and is a credible source of information and sometimes makes people feel a little bit more comfortable with the information that's being shared. And the other piece too about the important role that we play as doctors um, in our community, I think that, I think those are, I think those are amazing. So before, before we, we head out, How do, how do you see us getting there, right? I think, I think us representing, right? And, and what you do every day in the community, um, your role as a mentor. But beyond that, what do you think as doctors of color, we could, what other things we can be doing to really help increase the pipeline and, and encourage more young people to get into medicine. If you could have, if you had had your dream or whatever you could envision, what do you what do you see could really help make a difference that that um, we could start working towards?
1: That's a good question. Um, you're bringing me back to Aladdin right now. I'm thinking about the genie, and if I had a if I had three wishes, but um, the I, I guess my wand would be. Um, I think we could be more, I think we need to continue to advocate. Um, and I think sometimes we as physicians are, we kind of get a little gun shy when it comes to reaching out to our, our local uh, representatives. And I think we can do a better job of that um, at the state level because obviously, sure, we can um, reach out to, you know, at the federal level and, and go to Capitol Hill and, and advocate. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of that, but I also think um, getting to know our, our, our state re- uh, representatives is, is uh, equally important because oftentimes I hear from them that you know we as physicians we we I don't want to use the word complain we um, verbalize our or ventilate our frustrations about how things are going on in healthcare but then yet we don't always Come to uh, our representatives and and talk about it. And so I think it's important that either we write we write letters or we actually schedule meetings um, with our um, local congressmen and women um, to tell them about the um, the the experiences that we're having um, in medicine that are and more importantly that our patients are having and how that impacts. Our society, um, you know, long term. I mean, the, the economy doesn't thrive if you have multiple people buried in a cemetery uh, because of, you know, due to um, chronic health conditions like diabetes and high, um, hypertension and obesity, which disproportionately um, uh, affect communities of color, for example. Um, so I think that's one wish of mine that we be more um, on the front lines and, and making sure that we are contacting our, our local representatives. I think the other thing um, that I would wish for is that we, I wouldn't say necessarily having more pipeline programs because I think there are pipeline programs out there, but I think it's important that we make sure that, that we have a venue so that we can disseminate that information um, and making sure that the communities that may not necessarily have access to that information to make sure it's disseminated to them in a, in a timely fashion. and. Um, I, I, I'm still working on that with some of my colleagues to say how do we get this out there? Um, and so maybe, you know, with this pandemic right now, Zoom has, has um, become like, you know, everybody's doing meetings on Zoom or we're having Skype meetings. Social media is, is a perfect platform. I think we need to be more creative. That, that's one of my wishes. I think we need to be more creative in how we disseminate information. I know some of my colleagues have, a, have their own YouTube channel. Uh, I've been encouraged to do that. I have not done that yet, but that, that's something that I have thought about. Um, I think um, in order for us to recruit more and, and, and start early, um, we have to, I think we have to be kind of businessmen and women. Uh, I'm learning that more and more. They don't, uh, I think in medical school, they didn't do a good job of teaching us that, but we, we have to know our audience, right? And, and um, when we're looking at, okay, what's gonna be our strategic plan to help recruit more of a diverse workforce, I think we have to survey our communities and 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 for kids for example um, Facebook is out of date for kids it's YouTube Um, a a lot of kids are are watching YouTube videos Um, I have I've seen colleagues on Twitter talking about making storybooks uh, about you know uh, what a physician does what a physician looks like what is a virus what is how does it um, infect people how does it how is it transmitted so I think those would be some of my wishes that we we use our um, our headspace we, 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 that we become more creative, um, you know, and creativity um, then allows for, um, uh, I think, better outcomes. And so, uh, in, in many ways, so those would be my wishes um, as we um, kind of enter this new frontier um, as as we go forward. Because let's face it, the this young generation they're going to be the future leaders of tomorrow, and what medicine looks like now in 2020 is going to look different, um, probably even in the next decade. So um, I think we have to kind of keep up with technology. We have to be innovative. We have to be creative, and then also we have to be willing to um, to, to to talk with our legislators to let them know these are the these are the stories of um, of our patients. Um, you know, understanding their narratives and how. Uh, what they're experiencing impacts, um, you know, the the health outcomes of the communities is going to be important. But we can't let up. Um, you know, I hope that we will also have more task force on a on a state and uh, federal level where um, we can have um, uh, all parties represented. I think the other thing that is important is um, it's one thing for me to sit with a um, uh, my colleagues in, in psychiatry and talk about this, but you know, it's great to have a pediatrician and a psychiatrist and a cardiologist sit in a room and say, okay, we all know that the health disparities um, persist, how can we, you know, reach across the aisles and um, when it comes to even, you know, different disciplines and say, okay, let's create a task force and uh, let's partner with different organizations, whether it be the American Academy of Pediatrics or the American Psychiatry Association, obviously the AMA, obviously it's the House of Medicine where we can do that, but I think we need more partnerships because we're not gonna be able to, to fight this good fight um, living in silos, there, there needs to be more collaboration. Um, and we got to have stakeholders involved and that that includes um, the communities we serve. And so um, I'm, I've been a big proponent of um, reaching out to um, uh, our local churches or our barbershops or our hair salas, um meeting the communities where they are um, because oftentimes, as you know, sometimes our communities will not come for treatment uh, due to stigma or a distrust of the healthcare system. So that's where it comes into being creative and saying, okay, if they're not going to come see us uh, in the office, where can we meet them?
0: Oh, I think that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom, Dr. Clark. I'm hoping that there are young young people um, that find this discussion inspirational and um, hopefully they'll look you up and say like, you know, Dr. Clark, I want to be like you and how can I get there? So thank you so much.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me as always and uh, stay safe and healthy and best wishes to you and your family.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on What Is Black Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And for more information about the podcast, our blogs, and subscribe to our upcoming newsletter, go to our website at whatisblack.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode. And don't forget to leave us a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. Until next time, thank you for listening.